In Florida, decisions about infectious disease and all kinds of issues related to public health come down from the state capitol. Tallahassee calls the shots on things like masking, vaccines, and quarantine. For decades, though, individual counties actually had a lot of say. The ability of county health departments to work in the best interests of their community has been truncated and has been eliminated. There was this inconsistent, and I believe, in my mind, totally inappropriate and ineffective way to provide health care to all of the citizens of the state of Florida. Every year, lawmakers in Florida meet in Tallahassee to propose and pass new laws, present a budget, and represent their communities in the state capitol. And in recent years, that agenda has included a targeted focus, keeping towns and cities from making too many of their own rules, rules that could end up influencing policy around the state. This is Tallahassee Takeover from WLRN News. I'm Danny Rivero. Compared to a lot of states across the U.S., the state of Florida has a largely centralized public health system. Instead of local officials making decisions about public health policy and spending, almost every aspect of all of those decisions happens in Tallahassee. And during the COVID-19 pandemic, that top-down approach has gotten political, with Florida's Surgeon General and Governor making decisions that many doctors and local leaders say run contrary to science. So this seems like a good time to talk about how public health decisions get made in Florida, and also why local leaders get overruled. I'm joined now by my colleague, Veronica Saragovia, who covers healthcare for WLRN. Veronica, welcome to Tallahassee Takeover. Thank you, Danny. Hi. So just to start with, we're going to be talking about public health. And public health is different from healthcare. Things like your access to a primary care physician and specialists, whether you have health insurance, things like that. Public health is different. Exactly. Public health is how we protect communities from something like an infectious disease or promoting general health. Think of encouraging physical activity, monitoring for air pollution, and doing restaurant inspections for sanitation. Public health is when you track data to figure out how to stop an infectious disease from spreading. And it's also things like mounting vaccination campaigns against polio or hepatitis, for example. And of course, it's 2022. And public health also includes all things COVID-19. And we'll definitely be getting into COVID-19 in a few. But I just want to point out that in Florida, public health also includes things like controlling mosquitoes to prevent the spread of diseases like dengue, chikungunya, and Zika, if you remember that from a few years ago. And mosquitoes actually played a huge role in the early history of our state and in shaping what public health looks like here. So... When Florida first became a state in 1845, a lot of decisions about public health were left up to counties and towns. There weren't a ton of people in Florida at the time. And for the most part, the modern state that we think of as Florida only existed in the northern and central parts of the peninsula. But Veronica, tell us when this local-based reality for public health really started to shift here. 
In 1888, Danny, the city of Jacksonville had a major yellow fever epidemic that created this panic across the state. Yellow fever is transmitted through mosquitoes, but nobody knew that at the time. And so all these cities started coming up with their own plans for how to fight yellow fever. And they were not coordinated. You couldn't travel from one city to the next. And since everyone had different rules during the epidemic, it became an issue actually not only for health, but for the state economy. And I actually pulled up some old newspaper articles that showed some towns in Florida had so-called shotgun quarantine policies, where if you tried to come into town, the townspeople would stand on the perimeter with shotguns and threaten to shoot you dead. In Jacksonville alone, a total of 427 people died from that yellow fever epidemic. And that's according to the Florida Historical Society. 1888 was also an election year, and Democrat Francis Fleming ran for governor. He was a former Confederate soldier from Jacksonville. Actually, he's pretty universally known to have been a huge racist. And when he came to office in 1889, he called for a special session of the Florida legislature to create a statewide health agency. And his reasoning at the time was that since every county had different rules, it made things impossible during times of an epidemic. And Governor Fleming complained that during his campaign, there were parts of the state where he could not campaign because he would have been shot on sight if he went to some of these cities. So the Florida legislature created the State Board of Health under his direction. And for the first time, Florida had a statewide public health system where everything flowed from the state capital down to the different counties. This system lasted for 80 years. But then in 1968, officials in Florida rewrote the state constitution. And this new version abolished the State Board of Health. So from one year to the next, public health in Florida went from being highly centralized to highly decentralized. And along with this was the creation of local health departments. Every county had their own local health department. And these new health departments played a huge role in people's lives. I was born and raised 90 miles from here in Glades County, which is considered a rural county and still is a rural county. So I grew up in a very small town in a class of 13. Annie Niesman would grow up to lead the biggest county health department in Florida. She was the director of the Dade County Health Department from 1990 to 2000. And today, she is the CEO of the Jesse Trice Community Health System in Miami. There were 13 individuals in my classroom. And I knew public, the public health department back during my time as a child and as a teenager. That's where we received our health care. That's where we went to get our shots. At that time, we did have one uh, doctor in the entire county, uh, but most of the care that we received was from the public health department. Niesman remembers what it was like when public health was a local thing, like in the aftermath of Hurricane Andrew 30 years ago. That hurricane completely devastated some parts of South Dade. We knew from the Miami-Dade Public Health Department that we were in this for the long run. We set up tent cities. We set up medical units, medical tents. We set up what we call a chat 
teams, community health action teams that went door to door, uh, assisting individuals with whatever their needs may have been. You know, of course, the many agencies that came in, uh, the Red Cross, the Salvation Army, all of those individuals or organizations that served meals, served hot meals, uh, provided shelter, uh, provided clothing, provided things for children to do, provided things for pets and animals, making sure that there were restrooms available for individuals and showers available. When the medical teams came in, we set up tent cities even for them that rotated in and out, just making sure that individuals were not only safe from the storm, but those individuals who came in to, to help uh, were also provided with medical assistance if they were needed. Niesman remembers that the U.S. Army helped out for a few months. And then we were on our own for at least a year, providing services uh, for the individuals, the residents, and the visitors to South Miami-Dade County. For the most part, the money for the Dade County Health Department and other public health agencies came from local taxpayers, even though the state did toss some money their way. County government set up their own public health boards where they made rules and enforced things like restaurant inspections, mounted vaccination campaigns for diseases like smallpox, and they collected data about whooping cough. We had a smallpox issue uh, in our Haitian community uh, during those early years. The public health department, uh, you know, had to do massive immunization for smallpox because a segment of our population had not been vaccinated. That was, uh, you know, that was a tremendous experience. Through those years, you know, the Miami-Dade County officials, I believe, recognized the importance of public health because we certainly helped them with swimming. We helped them with all of the environmental issues. We did coordinate and always uh, coordinated with the state in making sure that our response was one that was appropriate. And if we needed any state or regional resources, then we were able to pull uh, from those resources. Even though the county health departments were independent, they were still part of a statewide system. And this is going to sound wonky because it is, but the state was split up into 11 different districts. I reported to that district administrator, and then that district administrator would filter up to Tallahassee. At this time in the mid-1990s, Florida was controlled by Democrats, and Fred Lippman was a Democratic state representative from Broward County. I've been involved in the political realm uh, probably, Daniel, before you were born, since 1968. I was appointed to the uh, the Board of Commissioners of the South Brown Hospital District, which is Memorial System, back in 1968. So I've been around. And Libman says this decentralized system of public health was really starting to fall apart in the mid-1990s because the money mostly came from local tax dollars. You had rich counties and you had poor counties. And it was during that period of time that a lot of rural hospitals were going out of business, closing them. Don't forget, we have a huge state. I mean, our state, if you go from the Keys to Pensacola, you're halfway to Chicago. People don't realize how large our state is. There was this inconsistent 
and I believe, in my mind, totally inappropriate and ineffective way to provide health care to all of the citizens of the state of Florida. You know, there are people that were going 80, 90 miles to get certain elements of health care, which you and I would take for granted. So Lipman starts to make noise about this, and he says he had the ear of the Democratic governor at the time, Lawton Childs, and he says the governor was receptive and he wanted to pass a big reform. You know, he understood it, and he came from uh, from uh, some original stock of, of Florida, and all of a sudden now the small 30s to 60 to 90-bed hospitals disappeared. Rather than relying upon just each county being either tax rich or tax poor and using monies and saying, well, we have to repair the source system, so therefore we won't take care of health care, or we have to do a road or a bridge and we're not going to do health care. That was unfair. The idea that Lipman has is to create an entirely new Florida Department of Health, which would put everything that these local health departments did under one office. These are things like monitoring water and air quality, trying to get rid of lead paint in housing, providing affordable cancer screenings, and getting people vaccinated, of course. And under this new conception, local county departments of health would now fall under the state. And instead of having oversight from county commissioners or the county health board, the oversight and the funding would come directly from Tallahassee and not from local taxes. And the intention was that because the money would be coming from statewide taxpayers and not just from local taxpayers, smaller, more rural counties could have access to better public health services. And I will mention there's still places today, like in the Florida Keys, where access to public health resources is still a real issue. But the intention at the time was to make it better. So, in 1996, the Florida legislature passes this huge new law that creates the Florida Department of Health. And in 1997, this goes into effect. Annie Niesman, who was the director of the Dade County Health Department, went through that transition, and she says it did make a big difference. It was easier. I'll put it to you that way. It wasn't the levels of bureaucracy, I'll say, that you had to go through. Some people who worked in public health at the time of this transition had a different take. Dr. Jeffrey Goldhagen was a director of the Duval County Health Department, which covers Jacksonville. There are 67 counties in the state. Those counties had semi-independent health departments. All were uh, related to the state. Um, all looked to the state for direction and funding. At the state level, the, uh, the, there were public health professionals who had committed their lives and professional careers to, to public health. And we worked together as a team where the expertise at the state was provided to that of the county health departments and the best interests of the county health departments was the focus of the state. That system has been dismantled. Flash forward and Goldhagen points to how the COVID-19 pandemic has played out as fuel for his criticism. 
that things were better back when local public health experts had more authority. So, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic comes along in March of 2020. And just like in the days of yellow fever in the late 1800s, public health once again becomes the state's central focus. Governor Ron DeSantis had only recently chosen Dr. Scott Rivkes as Florida's Surgeon General. They'd barely worked together, and one day at an April press briefing, Rivkes started sharing advice on how to stay safe from the coronavirus that causes COVID-19. Certainly do not work when we are sick. And again, for the elderly, these individuals need to avoid going out in public. And it didn't match up with the message DeSantis wanted to send. Uh, We are at a plateau situation, but cannot emphasize enough that we cannot let our guard down at this present time. Until we get a vaccine, which is a while off, this is going to be our new normal, and we need to adapt and protect ourselves. Thank you. In the middle of the briefing, a staffer approaches Rifkis and leads him out of the room. Almost a year would pass before Florida residents or lawmakers would hear from Rifkis again. And this really confuses and alarms some people, that in the middle of a global pandemic, it looks like the Surgeon General of Florida is being censored. When Rifkis does reappear at a committee meeting in the Florida House of Representatives, lawmakers are told they would not even be able to ask him questions. This is nine months after his last public appearance. Democratic State Representative Carlos Smith from the Orlando area was completely outraged at this. I understand that we have an agenda to get to, but after over 25,000 Floridians have died from COVID, I, I don't really understand what's more important than our ability to ask questions of our state surgeon general. I I think that I might be speaking for, I don't know, Democratic and Republican members of this committee who worked hard to be the voice for their communities. And I think that we deserve an opportunity to ask the surgeon general simple questions about public health while he's here. It just contributes to the perception that this process is a sham. If we cannot be able to ask legitimate questions to the top public health officer in this state. In August of 2021, Rifkis would resign. This time, DeSantis turns to Dr. Joseph Ladipo to head the health department. The new Surgeon General Ladipo was known at the time for promoting controversial and unproven treatments for COVID-19 and casting doubt about the safety of vaccines for COVID-19. In fact, Ladipo refuses to disclose if he's been vaccinated or not. Both he and Governor DeSantis publicly reject any mask mandates, business restrictions, and other measures that were being recommended by the CDC at the time. Although the department does promote COVID-19 vaccines under Latipo's leadership, it's really faded to the background when it comes to public health messaging. Shortly after he comes on board, Latipo backs an executive order banning local school districts from implementing mask mandates, an issue we tackled in a previous episode of Tallahassee Takeover. At the end of the day, uh, these health protocols are based in evidence, but we have no need for any theater in Florida. And so if you're force masking employees just for the appearance of safety, that is not a sufficient justification and you're not doing best uh, by your employees. The The governor's office releases a video that says, buck the CDC, which sounds exactly like what you think it sounds like. 
And with Dr. Latipo at the helm as a state surgeon general, Florida's Department of Health becomes almost like an extension of the governor's office. The governor and Surgeon General Latipo have continued doing press conferences together in a complete reversal from how things were under Dr. Rivkes, who was largely hidden from the public. And I, I think that'll be helpful for a lot of parents, you know, as they as they look to this, because I think there's uh, certainly from mass media and stuff been saying that somehow that this is something that you absolutely need to do. So final thought before yeah, I actually, wrap it up. I think you you were uh, you actually provided my the introduction to our announcement, which is the Florida Department of Health is going to uh, be the first state to officially recommend against the COVID-19 vaccines for healthy children. This is counter to the recommendations coming from federal health agencies, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and other such groups. And remember, there are no local health departments at this point. All the county health departments are run by state officials, so the governor and the surgeon general are setting policy at the top. And state officials have to fall in line, or else. This is from WFTV Channel 9 in Orlando. One of the lead voices in the fight against COVID-19 in Orange County is on paid administrative leave this afternoon. In February of this year, the director of the Department of Health in Orange County, where Orlando is, wrote an email to his staff. He was upset that their own vaccination and booster rates were too low for public health officials. He called it pathetic and urged them to get vaccinated. In it, he wrote, quote, I have a hard time understanding how we can be in public health and not practice it. He added he had an analyst run vaccination data for employees. There are 568 active staff at the FDOH and only 77 had received a booster. Shortly after, Tallahassee put Pino on administrative leave. The state reinstated him after about two months. A Department of Health spokesperson wrote in a statement that they disagreed with any pressure to get vaccinated. Florida even has a law against any COVID-19 vaccine mandates. Jeffrey Goldhagen looks at all of this and says public health in Florida is in a serious crisis. It would not be hyperbole to say that in fact, we have no Department of Health We have no public health system anymore in the state of Florida that is in any way competent enough to be able to fulfill their role and the expectation of the community's role uh, for the protection and advancement of individuals' health. Uh, The role of the Surgeon General has now become the role of a political pawn uh, to reflect the political exigencies of the governor and of the executive branch. One of the basic principles of public health is that all public health uh, is local. Unfortunately, uh, in this administration, the ability of county health departments to work in the best interests of their community has been truncated and has been eliminated. At the beginning of the pandemic, some cities and counties in Florida did use emergency orders to implement things like mask mandates and curfews and closing public parks. And in retrospect, some of those decisions were not effective, like closing beaches. 
Right, the beaches were one of the safest places you could be, but we didn't know that then. We were learning on the fly, and no one had all the information they needed. Local governments were trying to do what they could to protect public health and prevent the spread of the coronavirus. But those local powers have been rolled back. And now, virtually everything public health related comes from the state and only the state. In Massachusetts, if we want to make a regulation for something related to tobacco or something related to housing, um, it can be done at the local level. And it is a local decision here. Massachusetts takes a completely different approach. It has one of the most decentralized public health systems in the country. There are a total of 351 local health departments, all of them virtually autonomous. Don Carmen Sibber is the executive director at the Massachusetts Health Officers Association. In the town in which I worked, we had a commissioner of public health, and it was his responsibility. He had an advisory council, but it was ultimately his responsibility. If they wanted to have, let's say, masks in place longer than the state, which happened, you know, things like that. The state doesn't, it's, it's, it's local authority here, okay. which I guess is different than Florida. Sibber thinks that overall, this system works great. There is some state oversight, but for the most part, communities make their own decisions based on what works best for that city or town. And the funding for these local public health departments in Massachusetts comes almost entirely from property taxes, which does work in big cities and small wealthy communities, but it can be pretty bad for places that have more poverty a couple different communities where you have the exact same size, but one is wealthier or thinks of public health as more important. And you have 10 staff people and they're doing prevention and they're doing, you know, diabetes work and they're doing, you know, all kinds of things. And the other one has two people and they can't keep up and they're doing none of that. And they're poorer or they're, you know, they're just not getting the same level of service. Sibber says the state of Massachusetts is trying to figure out a way to help cities coordinate better with each other and share resources across city borders to help address this. But that does not mean that it's moving to become more centralized along the lines of what Florida did in the 1990s. We need to make sure that those communities that are disproportionately affected, which are usually the communities of color and the, the poorer communities, receive what the same wealthy communities receive. Fred Lippman created this system that exists today in Florida, where local governments have virtually no say about public health decisions because they're being handled by the state. And Lippman says it was all worth it. My personal intent as being a, the primary sponsor of the, of the bill was for just that to happen. That, that's, that's the basic thesis in which I felt was necessary. So if that was Lippmann's intention, he was definitely successful. Florida actually has a pretty progressive system for distributing public health dollars across the state. Because after Tallahassee took over, smaller rural counties do get more funding than they used to produce in local taxes. What we have now in Florida is a centralized, big government program created by progressives. Exactly the kind of thing that conservatives and Republicans say that they're ideologically opposed to because it limits local decision making. 
In this case, though, it's Republicans running a big government system. Maybe the two parties have more in common than they'd like to admit. How it plays out just depends on who controls the state government. Veronica, thank you so much for coming on. Danny, thanks so much to you. Tallahassee Takeover is a production of WLRN News. This episode was reported and produced by Veronica Saragovia and me, Danny Rivero. It's edited by Alicia Zuckerman. Our engineer is Merritt Jacob. I'm Danny Rivero. We'll see you next time. <laughs> 